listening to the CIPD podcast series. Automatic enrolment is the biggest shake-up of workplace pensions for a generation. It's a long process that started last year and will stretch into 2018. The biggest employers have already taken on their new duties. Now it's the turn of the SMEs, with between 50 and 1,999 workers, many of whom have been given staging dates in the next 12 months. It's a huge project. Some 50,000 employers will be enrolling a staggering 9 million people in the next year. In one month alone, over 10,000 organisations will be simultaneously enrolling their workers into pension plans. Now, you may remember we looked at auto-enrolment around this time last year, and in this episode, we'll take a look at some of the lessons the SMEs can learn from the big guys who've already been through the process. Neil Blackshire led that process for McDonald's. They staged back in January, and I asked him how the scheme went down with their 52,000 employees. It's a pension scheme, so no one was screaming, jumping up and down and cartwheeling down the the streets. The best indication that we can use is our opt-out rates. We had no preconceptions as as to what that number might be. And in in the event, we are running 3.47% opt-out for our salaried employees. Right. But the really encouraging thing is that for our hourly paid employees, and we've enrolled 11,500 so far, we've got a 2.2% opt-out rate. Which is is pretty incredibly good, actually. McDonald's has 1,200 restaurants in Britain, one-third of which are company-owned. They have 35,000 hourly paid employees and 17,500 salaried workers. As Neil explained, even though they started to plan in very good time, the run-up to their staging date wasn't all plain sailing and the first clouds appeared on the horizon in the summer of 2012 when they went to visit Nest. They sort of started drawing timelines on the wall in terms of what what regulatory communication had to go to whom, by when, and in what format, and so on and so forth. And it's a lot, isn't it? There's a lot. We had clearly missed a few tricks on that, I would have to say. We knew there was communication, but we hadn't quite understood the the, the different types and when, and particularly the timeframes involved. So uh, we sat there for an hour or so with our chins on the desk and came away realising that we absolutely couldn't with 35,000 employees, we had no capacity internally to do, to do that. After the visit to Nest, McDonald's decided they needed a partner, a middleware provider, to help them organise the communications. So Neil invited a series of potential providers to come in and pitch for the business. But we had a real problem because in the summer of 2012, it was quite apparent that there was a real disparity with the, the level of readiness from those providers. So although providers were coming in telling you about their whizzy-dizzy new systems, some of them clearly just didn't exist. And the best example of that is I, I had a, uh, a company who should remain absolutely nameless coming in and presenting me with two laminated sheets of A3 paper which <laughs> described the, the, the system that would be. I bet that um, filled you with confidence, didn't it? Well, they? it was colour. So that, you know, that, that, they, they obviously hadn't scrimped on the printing. But, you know, when I sort of said, OK, that's quite interesting, when can I see a demo? Oh, well, it's not quite ready yet. It's, it's going to be ready in a few months McDonald's did eventually find a partner provider, but the delay in doing so put the whole process under pressure. Kendra Ossington is Pensions Policy Manager at BT, and she outlined for us how the telecoms giants set about their enrolment process. At BT, we started thinking about the undertaking in November of 2010, so about two years before our staging date. 
Um, and then we really kicked it off properly about a year before our staging date where we had another workshop, again, brought the same people together um, and really started to think about what we needed to do. And our first step was to put together a um, high-level business requirements document so that we could um, inform our partners what our requirements were likely to be. BT's workforce is 70,000 strong and the majority of their employees were already signed up to one of their two pension schemes. Many of those who weren't had actively chosen not to enrol. So Kendra's challenge was getting those people not to opt out of auto-enrolment. What we didn't want to do, particularly with the economic climate being the way it was, was draw to people's attention too much how much they were paying into pension because they were paying a decent rate into the defined contribution scheme or in a good DB scheme already, um, that we might actually prompt people to opt out of the scheme and remind them that it was a voluntary thing to be in the scheme. So we sort of had different issues, I think, to a lot of other other companies. So presumably you didn't do some big all singing all dancing campaign about it No, we didn't. No, we did a very low-key communication. So to our existing scheme members, we really did, you know, not a lot more than a statutory communication very shortly before our staging date. And for our defined contribution members, the only thing we did was remind them that they could pay more. There are very tight regulations on who employers need to communicate with at what stage and about what. At McDonald's, after careful consideration, the communications were straight-talking, simple and factual, and their low opt-out rates suggest that strategy did hit the mark. I'd love to say that resonated, and that was the entire reason that we got such a low opt-out rate. But being realistic, it's going to be a mixture of three things. It's going to be a mixture of of the communication worked and, and people read enough of it to understand what was going on. Obviously, our staging date being January was quite good timing in, insofar as the DWP's first wave of publicity had hit sort of September, about, October, yes, November pr- prior. Mm. So people were sort of aware that something was happening. There is undoubtedly an element of apathy. How big an element, I don't know. But I think part of it is also the fact that with the whole pensions being in the press and, and auto enrolment being in the press, a lot of people, particularly people in their sort of the younger, you know, the younger 20s, It's probably a good idea, isn't it? I I suppose I should grow up and get started. At BT, of the group of employees that were not yet in a pension scheme, the opt-out rate was higher than expected. A third of those pensioners decided not to stay in the nest arrangement, but it's been, you know, reasonably sticky and the two-thirds of them have stayed in. It's quite high, though, isn't it? So a third Mm, of them Probably higher than we thought it would be, yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because it was this nexus of people who'd already decided they didn't want to do the pension thing. Yes, yeah, so th- I think because they were they finished they saving for their pension. Well, I think they just finished saving for pension and were in receipt of pension, so they just didn't see themselves as being in that in that phase, I suppose. And I, I you know, they having drawn their pension, um, you know, a number of them would be preparing for retirement properly and and I guess didn't see it as a long enough term commitment for them that it was something to to stay in. BT's high opt-out numbers are a bit misleading, though. Despite them, the vast majority, 98%, of their employees are now in a scheme. However big or small the organisation, they all have to meet the same regulations. But for SMEs, the auto-enrolment challenge is a very different one to the one the larger organisations faced. 
Andy Seed is pensions advisor at KPMG. We talked to him for the last pensions podcast. He and his team have watched closely as auto-enrolment unfolded over the last year. It's been a very, very interesting year. From our perspective, there's been some very complex challenges and uh, we've already seen with the DWP effectively writing simplification uh, into auto-enrolment legislation that there's been an acknowledgement that the rules were far more difficult to implement than they should have been from the start. Right, so it is being tweaked as it goes along. It is being tweaked as it goes along for those smaller businesses that have yet to stage. Um, it's going to be easier for them than it's that it has been for employers that have already gone through the process. Early opt-out statistics are sitting at between 6 and 8%. Now, that's far lower than the 25 to 33% the government models predicted and the 40% some commentators warn could happen. But according to Andy C, the figures now feeding through from large organisations are likely to be very different from the final opt-out numbers. The early opt-out statistics, in, in my opinion, are completely meaningless because you've got to think that Only the very, very largest companies in the UK who had the biggest pensions footprint already with the most money to throw at the problem and the most resource to put behind making it work have been through this process so far. So if you've got that kind of infrastructure behind you and also probably the deepest pockets to pay for professional advice to help them, to get you to that point of getting over the line, it's probably quite unsurprising, therefore, that, you know, member engagement has been quite high amongst those populations. Um, I think we will see a completely different story when uh, we're starting to enrol businesses who've never engaged with pensions before. Possibly this is their first ever form of pension savings. Uh, and actually there's there's some other reasons why they might not want to engage with pensions. So this is a key moment then. Are you saying you're expecting to see a lot more people possibly opting out on this basis, largely because the communication of the benefits just won't be there. I I think that's true, but not just the communication, actually the will to kind of push it as a valuable benefit. And my own view remains that it isn't going to be until we've got about 18 months' worth of data that we'll actually see the true number. But I've hugely swing back to that point that these large employers um, have had less people to enrol overall, etc., and have had all those resource issues in the background. So um, I, I don't think we're looking at a true picture at the moment. With less than ideal timing for the government, the Office of Fair Trading suggested last month that some pension schemes could be offering poor value to savers due to their steep charges. The finding was part of a wider report which, thanks to the media coverage, caught the attention of many otherwise unaware people. And with 9 million people due to be auto-enrolled over the next year, the worry is that it could prompt more opt-outs. But Andy Seed isn't unduly worried. I don't think, without wishing to be disparaging to the UK consumer, that actually the level of individual knowledge around how pension charging will overall impact the value of the pot that they get out possibly 20, 30, 40 years into the future is sufficient to make them think in relation to opting out of pensions or enrolment. I mean, that's the problem, though, isn't it? Because most people don't understand how charging works. Absolutely. And so all they see is a headline saying, charge is too high. Well, if you look at the three main contributory factors to how big a pension pot people will get when they retire, there are three main factors. One is how much you pay in, which is probably the most important. Second is how, much, how well will your investments return? And thirdly, what's the impact on charges? And there has been an enormous amount of, uh, of modelling and, and, and proving that actually charges overall has by far the least impact on how much you get at the back end. 
As we've heard, though, the big organisations have effectively been trialling the system, and now the government is in the process of simplifying it for future ease. So I asked Kendra if there was any aspect that she thinks isn't working well. I think our big issue with it was that we were already automatically enrolling everybody. We just weren't doing it the way the regulations specifically said we had to. And there was no um, sort of exemption for that. Um, and, so you had to go through this we had to go through, you're already doing it. You know, a big expensive project to more or less achieve what we had to begin with. Annoying. So, well, <laughs> uh, money we would have rather put into people's pension pots, to be honest. <laughs> That's a very diplomatic way of putting it. The big organisations now breathing a sigh of relief have useful lessons for the SMEs squaring up to the challenge now. Here's Neil again. Plan and prepare as, as early as possible because you will hit problems that are not of your making. There's undoubtedly going to be some little wrinkle, some little specific detail that you haven't quite thought about that suddenly crops up and, um, oh, Lordy, you know, hang on, we need to go away and think about this. And, th- and, and that, the staging date's looming. And then yeah. two or three weeks is just swallowed up in dealing with that. And Kendra? You know, we're working with our partners. We probably could have learned to speak their language a little bit earlier. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, because we we found sometimes difficulties in in communicating with them over what our requirements were. So what I think sort of things? what would be a change for us if we used just even the word change would be something different to it's them. It's not your it, language. It, it's just not, you know, and if we used opting out, we were using it within a very sort of specific context of the regulations and that wasn't well understood for quite a long time throughout the whole project team. So communication, explaining to workers what's happening, why and when, is one fundamental aspect Preparation, putting in place the team, gathering stakeholders, drawing up timelines and finding the funding and so forth, is another, which tallies exactly with what KPMG's Andy Seed has seen. The most successful projects that we've seen implemented have a common theme. And the common theme is they've started to plan early, but they've actually thought and given some time and energy to thinking about who the project team internally should be. The larger businesses would have engaged someone senior from finance, someone from HR, possibly from rewards. There might be a dedicated pensions manager. So there could be a quite significant group of stakeholders involved in getting it right. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that the earlier you engage those people, the earlier you start setting your policy and how you do it, the better. Of course, the challenge for SMEs is that the MD might also be the CFO and the HR, and the pot to fund internal developments or external support are likely to be far smaller. If it's all being done in-house, then early preparation is even more key. Plus, as Andy outlines, smaller organisations are less likely to have pensions already embedded and may need a bit more government support. The size of businesses that are just about to go through the auto-enrolment process... Um, are just starting from a different place to the larger corporates who have pensions ingrained as part of reward culture within their organisations. So I guess if there's one thing I'd like to see more of, not so much from the regulator because it's not their really role to do this, but actually from DWP, is to be a bit more educatory in terms of helping businesses who don't really understand pensions and have never really uh, engaged with them to, to work out where they start. Um, but I think generally 
Um, that's what will pan out over the next year. Uh, companies will have to get to grips a bit more with what pension schemes are, what they're for, uh, and they will need to push this message of why this policy is coming into place. Next month, we're going to be looking at how to bring the business with you on your OD journey. How can you fully involve stakeholders in the design and development process? And what are the best ways to communicate OD throughout your organisation? Join me then. You've been listening to the CIPD podcast series.